0: All right, so in this episode, it's going to be another special one. I have Nico Tudero on. He is a U.S. national coach with the men's department for tennis. And uh, he's one of the best coaches in the country and actually played professional tennis. So what I wanted to do today in this episode is let him kind of share what it takes to be a national team tennis player um, and explain the process and how they look for players and how they identify because a lot of the things from tennis or transferable to soccer in terms of the process of how it works and what it takes to be a high-level athlete. So I'm going to go ahead and let Nico introduce himself and tell the story. So Nico, go ahead for anybody that's listening. Tell us your story, please.
1: Yes. uh, Thank you, Kyle. Thank you for having me. Um, well, I moved to the U.S. in 98 from Argentina. I'm originally from Argentina. Uh, we moved to South Florida. Um, and I was 18 years old. I turned pro. Played professional tennis for uh, almost 10 years. I got to the highest ranking 200 in the world. Um, Played, you know, uh, all the challenger level tournaments, future levels, and some of the big leagues as well, some of the grand slams. Had the opportunity to to experience great things among the best players in the world. Um, um, And then uh, became a coach uh, 30 years old. Um, I graduated from the University of Florida after stopping uh, playing professional tennis in sports management and, and business administration. So I'm a Gator, uh, and um, nothing—just you know, enjoying uh, this uh, this tennis sport and it, you know I, that I have a passion for, and, and that I wanted to uh, stay involved uh, for the rest of my life.
0: Awesome. So. Uh, I think you mentioned pre-show, at least, or pre-conversation, that you coach one of the best players in the world. Who is it and what's his ranking?
1: So I, uh, the, when I stopped playing, I uh, started coaching Jesse Levine. Uh, he was already a professional player. Uh, and then uh, he, he became top uh, 60 in the world, um, which is a pre—it's very challenging to, to become top 100 player in the world. So that would say like... You know, you start being successful once you hit that benchmark, um, you know, start really, really making a living. Um, and from there on, you know, as, as high as you can get, obviously, the better. And then you have the lead of the lead, which um, obviously is the top 10. And then you have the Grand Slam champions. But, you know, every every step on in the ranking scale, you know, um, it, it takes, obviously, more work. Uh, there's a reason for for why the players are ranked where they are between you know one and 10 10 and twenty five, and twenty five and, and fifty, and so on. So um, after coaching Jesse Levine, um, which you know was a great player, then uh, the head of men's tennis at that time, Jay Berger, he saw me working with him, and he offered me a, a great opportunity that I, that I couldn't pass, which was working for. Uh, uh, for player development, in, uh, in Boca Raton at the time. Now we we are in Orlando, Florida, where uh, we have our uh, our one of the the biggest center in the country. We have three: one here in Orlando, one in New York, and one in in LA. And um, so then from there, I started working with junior players, age probably uh, thirteen and older. And it was uh, it, it's been great for the last ten years because I I, I got to. Uh, uh, see the process from that age all the way to professionalism. I stick with three generations. That now they're pretty much called the next gen, which are top hander in the world. Uh, some of those boys, uh, they obviously they became men, and hopefully they will be a Grand Slam champion at some point. So uh, it's been fantastic to actually work uh, in this um, in this environment.
0: It sounds like a really rewarding experience. I mean, being able to work with somebody that's you know top. 70 60 in the world what do you think allowed or what what does the player need to have from a quality standpoint or what are the top qualities they have to reach that level
1: i would start with saying you know you need to have weapons um you need to have you know athleticism um you need to have willingness to learn you know a growth mindset um all the determination the commitment the professionalism um so many elements and factors you know the resiliency so many character values that that a player needs to have to actually uh, get to that level you know dealing with adversity uh challenging you know the 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 player himself um and and wanting to get better constantly Um, and great competitors obviously
0: and and it's not a fluke right i mean to reach that level it isn't by accident so it it takes i'm assuming 10 years a long process can you kind of relay that to the to the people that are listening to this what it actually takes
1: it's not i mean things i always say things don't happen because they just happen you know it's a process like you always say it's a process that um, sometimes is a painful process it takes a lot of patience um, a lot of different steps that sometimes um, people want to skip but you just can't skip them Um, I mean, you can accelerate the process by maybe assimilating better, you know, information, learning faster, and everybody learns at different paces. Everybody develops at at their own pace. Um, But, uh, you know, work ethic, you know, there there are some commonalities that that all those players have and, you know, that um, must to have.
0: Gotcha. That's a good insight. The next question for you, what do you think it takes for a player to be ready for the national team level?
1: When we talk about national team level, are you asking kind of like for me, for the, because I've been the you know the junior captain, for example, for the under sixteen team for like two three years, and do you mean those national teams or when we invite players to the camp at the national center?
0: Why don't we start with the first one? If you think it's relevant for both, you can answer both.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, results are, are, are you know you know results are are, are are a must because to the at the end of the day. As you know, as a country, you can uh, also, at an earlier age, um, you have to justify why you make your selections, and you're going to make the selections. You're going to select the best players in the nation, um, and that's just a reality. Um, it's not about okay, what projection does this player have when you join a national team at that certain stage? You're representing the country, and you want to take the best team to have the best possible chance to actually win the event. Now, when we talk about bringing players to the national center, then that's a little bit more, you know, uh, it's a wider um, a way of doing things. And that's where we have more flexibility. And then players at an earlier stage, you know, we're not so focused on results and, and winning maybe. Uh, and there is when we actually focus on projection because, you know, a 14-year-old, i give you an example, Riley Opelka, Pelka, he's 6'11", or something like that, right? You know, he's... 35 in the world, and I remember Riley being 4, 13, 14 years old, and he could barely move, and sometimes he couldn't do some of the things that some of the other 14-year-old boys were doing, and right now he could could be a Grand Slam champion, but we had him under our radar. He was in our program at the time, Um, and and obviously we supported him, so you know, he was not ranked at the top in the nation, but we saw something special in him, and you know, that's just an example of, of, of how we go the selection process. But um, um, yeah, so that's pretty much how we, how we go about the national team. Um, and then uh, uh, we have the under 14s, which they go uh, three weeks to Europe, uh, two weeks to Europe, one tournament in France, which is called Le Petitas, and then in England, Bolton. And then we have obviously, which it's a qualification process, and then it's the main event. And then we have the under 16s, which is the same way. Uh, it's kind of like the one is called Junior Davis Cup, and then there's nothing else in 18s. But um, yeah, that's how the national team works.
0: Gotcha. So when, when you're when you're picking players for the actual national team squad, you're picking the best, and when you're picking the players for the I think you said the the national center, that's when you're a little bit more flexible and you're looking at potential as well. Is that right? I just want to make sure I understand.
1: Yes,
0: 100%. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So then
1: we keep, you know, we keep the white base at an earlier at, a, at, early, at, a, at a earlier stage. You know, let's just say from twelve to fourteen, and then he starts trimming down. It's just the reality of things. I mean, players get better than other players, and not everybody, you know, can make it. I mean, it's just the way it is. Gotcha. Um, so,
0: yeah. Let me ask you a question. On that note, because I, I for me. I would like to know or get some examples to why a player doesn't make it. So a player that's in your center at 14, what would be an example of why they wouldn't make it at, say, 16 and beyond?
1: Um, uh, well, it can be, um, I mean, it can be different reasons. Um, I mean, their uh, the work ethic, maybe, you know, so their, you know, um, it can be, uh, you know, not developing enough weapons, uh, their size, Um, it can be um, um, uh, not, you know, willing to actually uh, listen, which is very important, Um, you know, the the way they compete, uh, maybe uh, they take take things for granted, that then, you know, they don't realize that they have, and then, maybe don't work hard enough and then other players start passing them. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there are, there are many factors that can actually um, have an impact on that.
0: Gotcha. And then how often do players train versus play matches in tennis? So are they doing like five sessions of training to one game or how does that process work? Uh
1: Sorry, what was that again?
0: How, how often or what, what is the ratio from training to games? So how often are they training to, at the elite level for like youth national team or things like that? How often do they train compared to games?
1: Yeah, um, you know, we try to uh, have them play as much as they can, even playing, you know, tennis matches um, while putting the work sometimes. um, um we don't wanna. We, we take care of the match count. We wanna make sure that if the match count is high, then we can stop the players and and actually focus on getting better and training. Uh, we make sure that we have those periodization processes established and planned on the, on different training blocks. Um, usually, at earlier stages, we try to have them play two tournaments a week, but then that's like 14 and under because once they, they turn 15 um um you know we we want to expose them internationally and that's when they actually start traveling um some of the kids obviously go to regular school so they you know there are different strategies on how to do it um not that a kid that a 15 year old does homeschool is gonna be better than the 15 year old that goes to regular school right. you know um, uh, maybe later on that player realizes that needs more time on the practice court and then he goes to homeschool later on but um um, you know, we, at the end of the day, we, you know it's a it's a game of movement, and you want to keep it as real as possible. So having them um, play matches while training is important. And then, uh, like I said, uh, we want to have a, a, a periodization plan in place where uh, we have control of what is happening because uh, between fourteen and sixteen, let's say thirteen and sixteen players, little kids are are uh, very. Um, exposed to stress fractures in in many places in the body especially the back the elbow so we want to control the loads you know make sure that that we have the right amount of times and that we have enough rest if the match count is high and all those kind of things to give them healthy as well it's it's, you know so
0: okay and that's very important um next question for you would be how important is mental mental strength because when we're talking about even in football or soccer, mental strength is so important. But in a sport that's so individual, or relies on individualism, in tennis, how important is mental strength?
1: I think it's massive, Carl. I mean, everything starts with the mind. Um, um, you know, the, the resiliency. You know, like I said, how to deal with adversity, how uh, how how to deal with losses. Um, dealing with the uncertainty the uncertainty of, of having a close match and not knowing what the outcome is going to be and feeling that pressure, you know, that you have somebody actually not physically punching you, but punching you, making you run and, 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 and making you tired and trying to get on top of you mentally as well, um, you know, um, how you face that and how you uh, embrace those challenges and how you keep putting one step, on, you know, in front of the other one, you um, and going up the hill, you know, in a, in a tough situation. So, uh, mentally, being mentally strong is just pretty much everything. Everything, you know, we say that the game of tennis is played first with the eyes and mind, then with the legs and, and you know, and feet. And, and lastly, with the hands, you know, mentally, meaning anticipation, shot selection, decision-making, ball recognition. And then, you know, the hands, the, you know, the legs, meaning lines of movement, all the different stances. Um, Absorbing and sending, and then finally the hands. Which tennis is a very technical sport, you know, the grips, the swing paths, Uh, and that's how the game of tennis is played. And and it starts with the mind.
0: Right. So, yes. Are are there any like, or do you have any ideas or uh, recommendations, maybe, to help develop mental strength? Because that's one of the things that I get a lot of questions about: is how do you develop a mentally strong player? So, is there anything in particular that you could recommend or that you do?
1: Yes, I mean, you know, nowadays we have the mental strength team, you know, when we do all the visualization and, the, and, and all the, you know, the breathing, all the routines on court that help. And, you know, those are all tools. Uh, but I'm a, a huge believer. I mean, I spent a lot of time with, with Rafael Nadal's coach in Spain. Um, I saw him, you know, and, and this was a topic that I, that I, uh, that I spoke with him about it. And, you know, practicing the way you play. Practicing the way you play. Um, it's, it's, it's extremely important, you know, being engaged. You know, the engagement, the accountability that you have when, while doing things, uh, the quality over quantity, obviously, but, but that's one of the best tools, you know, because you will automatically respond in the best possible way under a pressure situation if you're ready in that, you know, if you're ready because you've done it a thousand times or more than a thousand times in practice and having that, Particular mindset will help make you stronger. Will help with the concentration. Will you know? Will bring everything together. Plus, then doing all the you know having a growth mindset and, and studying all the different techniques that you can that you can that you can use. You know that, that there are you know a thousand books that can help you and, 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 and sports psychologies and stuff like that. But the champions, something that they have in common is that they do that. They play the way they, they practice the way they play every single time. Yeah, and then uh, other uh, last two things, I think that, you know, um, dealing with, uh, with the losses. I mean, learning how to deal with losses, making sure that it doesn't affect you. I mean, you know, mentally, uh, being strong, you know, uh, uh, as I always say, make sure that things don't stick to your body. The losses, let them slide, you know, um, because uh, uh, how you deal with losses is actually going to the outcome you know in the following week the following three weeks the following months so the the, the the champions they know how to deal with it they have the right perspective in mind and that helps them mentally massively
0: right yeah that, that's good insight for sure because that's one of the biggest things that i see in youth sports is kids that you know struggle to get over losses so having that would definitely be important and learning how to deal with it um next question would be uh and this is more of a phrase that i got a friend from a friend of mine who said um, and it's really about that mindset that we're talking about. And the question is, and, and I want to know if it's relevant to you, would you rather eat or play pro? Do you think that's a relevant question to, to ask? Or um, what is your opinion on that?
1: Um, I mean, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's about getting better and not forcing anything. Uh, it's a, you know? Like, you have to manage your expectations and know where you're standing at different stages. So, yeah, I mean, the goal, ultimately, maybe for the players, for the kids, for the athletes, is to turn pro and be a, and be a champion if that's, you know, what they, the career that they want to have. But they have to be smart of, 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 of where they are at different stages. So, uh, things will come as a consequence of, you know, of putting the hard work and what you do and how better you get so um yeah i mean you asked me at 18 yeah i'd rather play pro and and that's what i did i won a couple of events at at 18 pro events and 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 i thought i was ready and then i could have you know could have done better maybe yes everybody can do better but um in this environment here in the u.s especially um the reality is that college is a pathway to professionalism and and does the rest of the world don't have it? No. In tennis, the rest of the world doesn't have that option. It's probably the same as in soccer in this country, you know. And But guess what? Um, you got to take advantage at the right time. Like, I mean, I had kids in, in Wimbledon. I mean, I, I, I had the privilege of having the two boys playing the final at the Wimbledon Junior Championship. Wow. And I remember one, you know, um one of the kids not knowing what to do actually if he was going to turn pro and the parents not being able to sleep and texting me at midnight telling me what to do and you know what i mean if you if you there are certain things certain benchmarks that i think a player needs to have uh, before making that decision so that's going to dictate if you want to turn pro or not so i wouldn't put it as you want to eat or turn pro you know you gotta do the best decision that you think at that time in our job at the US, USTA player development we we cannot tell them what to do kyle right. but our job is to have them have the toughest decision of their life because of how good of a job we've done sometimes the result as a junior player will dictate right away because you're just too good and you just keep going but other times when you're not sure you know maybe going one year and then turning pro, or maybe going two years in the turning pro, or maybe even graduate. You know, in tennis, it is a pathway to it, and um, um, does it work different than the rest of the world? It does. So when we talk about culture, I say we have to improve our culture, absolutely. But at the same time, I don't think we can change who we are. You know, so uh,
0: right.
1: that's how I that's how I see it.
0: Right, and and I think I think what you said is very fair. It's about developing the player. If if they want to invest their time into doing it, then they'll make it happen, right? I mean, that's pretty much what you're saying. So
1: yes, I mean, you you need to make a smart decision. I mean, if you're not under the radar, if you haven't had any success, if you haven't, you know, if you're far away from being, you know, I don't know, in the national team, if you haven't done, you know, uh, it's it's okay. Hey, I mean, it's a reality. Right. And I have, a, I have, you know, an, um, I mean, I have my son and, and you know, I'm, I'm only focusing on getting better. And right. then keeping the expectations in, in check. And then when the time comes, just make the right decision.
0: Right. right. And it's
1: a difficult decision. But, I mean, it is about getting better and giving you, if you, if you get better, you're going to have the best chance of actually turning pro and being successful.
0: Gotcha. So, so let that's, me,
1: how we're, that's
0: how I think. Let me ask you this. So, I mean, you kind of highlighted it already, but how important is technique um, to the game of tennis?
1: It's massively important. It's massively important, especially until the age of 12. Um, I think that uh, it's very difficult to undo something. Yes, you can keep working technically. I'm not saying that a 13 or 14-year-old cannot adjust and, and get it right. Uh, we have certain parameters that we try to have the players in you know, all different strokes of the game And we want to have players to be as complete as possible Have as many tools as you can so then you can use them in battle. That's as simple as, as, as it gets. I think in my mind um, You know and then you can be an all court player fantastic You know if you feel more comfortable doing certain things well, you're in crunch time You got to stick to your to your strengths, hopefully, and that's how you're gonna win the match don't try to invent something. But if you have the tools to actually be more creative, you know, do it. Something that I always say is give as many tools and just don't take creativity away from the players and let them, you know, uh, uh, do what they think is best at the time, And but always in a smart way. So technically, if there are technically the fundamentals are there by 12, then it's way easier from 12 to 18. And then obviously it's already after that. It's just it's 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 tweaking and polishing and uh, As you keep getting better and better the percentages of getting better, they they start getting smaller But but I mean a guy like Federer or Rafa Nadal or Djokovic Hey, they can get 1% better at that stage because they're so good already But imagine in an 18 year old boy The room of improvement is so big, but technically it's got to be there already by I would say 12 Hopefully there and then by 15 be completely ready,
0: right? Well, and uh, this is why I wanted to do this episode with you is because that's exactly pretty much how it is in in, in soccer or football is because at, at 12, if you have no technical skill, um, a friend of mine will tell everybody, he's like, if you have no skill by 12, you're done. He's like, you can forget about being a pro. He's like, it won't happen. And at the highest level, he's like, it won't happen. So it sounds like it's the same thing in tennis, whereas if you don't have the, the technical skills by 12, you're done. Yeah,
1: and again, again, I mean – the way we see it, it's the first we're teachers and then we start transitioning to coaches and then, you know, we're teachers and coaches at the same time. But at a, at a younger age, yes, a player can be natural, you know, can figure out things on their own because problem solving is massive and uh, watching the sport on TV and, and, and playing and playing and playing with your friends. And But at some point, somebody has to teach you something, Carl, because otherwise, you know, or, or some kind of way, in some kind of shape or form, somebody has to teach you something technically because otherwise some things you're just not going to pick them up. That's the reality of it. Right. I believe that's how I believe
0: it. I agree with you, and it's the same thing in football because you can have players play um, play games all the time and you can have them play in the street all the time, but there's going to be core things that they're missing just because they're not being taught, so I agree with you. Yes. Um, next question I wanted to ask you, at what age does winning actually matter? For kids
1: yeah I mean I think that um, at an early stage is less important you know there are so many kids at 12 13, 14 that they actually we sometimes talk about playing the right way you know and, and you know they moon balling and it's about patience and nobody has developed their you know physically yet. And, you know, and, and so at earlier stages, it, it's not as important. It's always good to win, Kyle. I mean, that's a reality. And losing is inevitable. Everybody will lose. So learning how to lose, it will happen. And, but if you can keep getting better while also having the experience of winning, hey, that's great. Right. But it's not as important as in early stages. Now, once you start hitting 15 years old, 15, 16, uh, it starts becoming important. Because, I mean, they're they're all benchmarks, you know, rankings, um, ratings, uh, selection process, you know, uh, it's not just, it's about, you know, sometimes there are so many kids that that hit the ball amazing, but it's not about hitting the ball amazing, it's about putting all together, competing well, moving well, um, you know, everything that we've been talking about, putting it all together, and that's, you know, it's a game, and it's not just about one particular thing, so... Um, And then, like I said, at 17, 18, it's also even more important. So as you keep getting older, it it becomes more important. I think that's a reality.
0: Well, I think one of the things that you said is really, really important, and I think people get confused by this, um, especially in football, is that people think winning is the most important. It's not, but having that mindset to want to win is the most important because there's a lot of good players, but if you don't have that drive to want to win, I don't think, at least on the soccer side or the football side, that you're going to make it. So I'm assuming that would be the same type of thing on tennis. If you don't have that drive to want to win, you may not win, but the drive to want to win needs to be there.
1: It's, it's Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the best competitors, they want to win more than the, than the guy in front of him or her. Um, you know, that, the competitors, they want to win more than you do. And, 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 and they're going to do everything in, in their power to, to actually get things done. In a good way, you know, with good character values. You don't have to be a jerk to actually be successful in sports. And, and I want to make sure that we clarify that. Uh, you know, be a good human being, but be, you know, pretty much an animal on the court, you know, or on the soccer beach or whatever you do.
0: Right. So can you give an example of how somebody could be an animal on the court? What does that mean? How do you be an animal?
1: That means you show up for every point. I mean, you show up for every point, you, I mean what is the, the, the is there a particular reason why you would not compete in a certain play for example or try your best in one particular aspect of things no 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 I mean um, that's how you I mean you become an animal when you show up for every point when you will um, run for every ball that you get where you're gonna you know maximize your gain and when you're gonna take yourself to the limit and when you're gonna lay it on the line, Knowing that there is the possibility of losing, but you're still gonna be like, "Hey, I laid it on the line, and I can sleep tonight, and I can be at peace with myself because I did everything I could," you know. And sometimes, honestly, hey, the other guy, you have to accept that that particular day, the other guy was better than you. I right. <laughs> it's a reality. Right. It's a reality.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're enjoying the podcast and finding valuable information from it now I do have a quick ask of you and that would be to make sure to follow me on all social media platforms like Instagram YouTube TikTok which is at Kyle C Wilson official and on Twitter which is the Kyle C Wilson and if you could help me do that that would continue to help reinforce the ideas that I want to continue producing content specifically made for you guys to help educate you and as always, you know I'm there to help, as I have $23,195 worth of content available for free through my YouTube channel that will answer and help a lot of the problems that you're going through, or at least your child's going through. So if you haven't found that yet, go to the YouTube channel, Kyle C. Wilson Official. And without further ado, let's get back into the episode.